1 Corinthians 15. And before Robin comes up, Ruth is actually going to come and read for us. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With, with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Okay. Perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star to star in glory. So, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. I, you know, I look around and I just, uh, you know, I was just looking at Wayne with his grandchildren and Casey with her girl, and it just blesses me to to see all of the, the children here. Um, it, it's, just a, it's just such a blessing. Very grateful for Matt and, uh, for, and for this church. Anyway, enough with the preliminaries. Um, we're going to talk this morning about the resurrection of the body. 1 Corinthians 15, what was read to us. Thank you, Ruth. Uh, so we're talking about the body. How do you feel about your body? Are you comfortable with your body? Are you comfortable about the way you look? Or maybe you're not so comfortable. Maybe things aren't as well proportioned as you might like. 
Is there too much of this? Maybe not enough of that? You know, like hair, for instance. <laughs> my five-year-old granddaughter was sitting on my lap and she said to me, Pop, Pop, everybody has hair. You have a head. I thought, you know, if you looked more closely at my nose and my ears, you might not say that. <laughs> I, I dare say there are a few people who would not make some changes in their appearance if they were able to. And it reminds me of a parody poem I heard one time. When God gave out looks, I thought he said books, so I said I didn't want any. When God gave out noses, I thought he said hoses, so I asked for a long one. When God gave out chins, I thought he said gins, so I asked for a double. <laughs> and on and on it goes. Uh, apparently, according to this poem, the reason that we look the way we do is because of some unfortunate miscommunication with God. But really, we had no choice in the matter. And by the way, I, I, some of us older guys suffer from furniture disease. You know what that is? It's when your chest falls into your drawers. <laughs> All right, it's enough of that. We really didn't have any choice in the matter of how we look. The bodies that we have were given to us by an all-wise God as He has chosen. We can't choose our bodies or our body type any more than we can choose our parents or our country of origin or the color of our skin. So how are we supposed to think about our bodies? Well, the big point is that we are created in the image and likeness of God. Not that God has a physical body, but that our bodies are His creation and they bear some resemblance in some way to him. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are precious to God and our bodies are precious to God. As Christians, our bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit. But regardless of whether or not we're comfortable with our bodies, they do have a serious problem. In this fallen world, our bodies are weak. They're subject to disease. They're subject to deterioration. And there are aspects of our bodies that are actually humiliating. I won't go into detail. <laughs> but to state the matter starkly, our bodies are mortal. Our bodies are subject to death. The way they are now, our bodies are subject to death. And death is something we don't like to talk about. Charles Spurgeon once said, Yes, we all admit we shall die. But not so soon as to make it a pressing matter, we imagine that we are not within measurable distance of the tomb. But in this, my brethren, we are not wise. Death will not spare us because we avoid him. In the passage that was just read and that I'm about to read again, Paul frankly addresses these things but then he expands the dimensions of the discussion to encompass not only this life, not only mortality, not only life and death, but resurrection, that is what lies beyond death, the life to come. So you got the here, but there's also the hereafter. So this is about the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of my body, 
the resurrection of your body. And for Paul, this was a very pressing matter because his life was in constant danger. And as a matter of fact, just before the words that, that Ruth read, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31 and 32, he said, Why am I in danger every hour? What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great chapter about the resurrection, and Paul's giving an answer to those that were denying the resurrection. And he said, if the dead are not raised, why am I risking my life the way I am? In the last chapters of the book of Acts, you find Paul on trial many times, right? Before Felix, before Festus, before uh, Centurion. And when he is allowed to speak, he always makes a connection to his trials. He makes a connection between that and the resurrection. For instance, in Acts 23 and verse 6, he said, It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. He connected his hope in the resurrection with his ministry and why he happened to be on trial. So for Paul, the resurrection wasn't just some point of doctrine to be argued. It, it wasn't just some theological theme to be debated, pro or con. No, it was a matter of eternal life and death. It was a hope that sustained him and that motivated him in the dangerous mission that our Lord Jesus Christ sent him to fulfill. Uh, the resurrection, in other words, is not just some minor item on a list that Christians believe. I believe in this, 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 this. No, no, it's, it's, it's much more significant for that. He says if Christ was not raised, if the dead are not raised, Paul said, then we, those who preach, are fake you are still in your sins, and those who are already dead have completely perished. And we, though we are alive for the time being, are of all men most miserable. That's what he said in the early part of this chapter. And if there is no resurrection, then our cultured despisers have every right to despise us. Stupid Christians. <laughs> Pie in the sky. Resurrection of the dead. Every person I've ever seen that died stayed dead. Well, that's true for the most part, except for one very important exception. Christ has been raised from the dead. And because this is true, certain other truths follow. Now, the first part of 1 Corinthians 15 got into that, but Paul said more about it in the verses that we're going to look at because a lot of questions remain about this. What about this resurrection of the dead? And it's a long passage, but it's, it's worth looking at a little more closely. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to look at verses 15, or rather, 30, 5, chapter 15, verses 35 through 50 again. I'm going to take it in two parts. I don't uh, apologize for rereading this. 
I've read it a zillion times, and I still, you know, just understand a little bit of it, so we'll take it again. He says, but someone will ask. He's just gotten through talking about resurrection. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! Exclamation point. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory, or as we might say in magnitude. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, this section begins with a couple of questions and then a surprising response from Paul. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You fool. Now, that sounded like perfectly legitimate questions to me. And Paul gives this sharp response. Well, just... A little disclaimer here, we don't know the full context. These could have been serious questions, but more than likely, behind these questions, there was a mocking skepticism. Because in the verses just before this, Paul had said, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And then he launches into this section. So there is something going on here. We can't be absolutely sure what it was. But there was some skepticism among the Corinthians. And Paul speaks to it head on. Now he also does address them as dear brothers a little bit later. So you have this interesting thing. Paul was the father of the Corinthian church. He was the one through whom they came into being, humanly speaking. So he had this interesting relation with the Corinthians, not to belabor the point, but he was their father in the faith, and he could speak to them like a father. Did your father ever yell at you? If he was a good father, he probably did. You know, you've got to do it 
in kindness, but, but fathers can speak like this. Paul has a totally different tone when he's writing to the Romans. He'd never visited them. But here he takes his liberties and said, you fool or you foolish person. So we don't know exactly what's going on, but there's something seriously wrong with Corinthians' perception. So Paul takes them on a little scientific journey from botany to zoology to astronomy and then he's going to argue from these creation sciences by analogy to the resurrection. First of all, he talks about the seed and what the seed produces. Now, I brought with me a little show and tell here. This is an acorn. It doesn't have its little hat. It fell off, but this is an acorn. Acorns produce something called oak trees. I wanted to bring an oak tree, but I couldn't. <laughs> so just use your imagination. This is the acorn, and this is the oak tree. They have the same DNA. They're the same organism, but they're different. Paul says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain or an acorn. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. So, there's some continuity between the acorn and the oak tree. But there's also discontinuity. They're the same and they're different. Now, Paul's point here is that the oak tree doesn't come into being unless and until the acorn is sown into the ground and dies. And if you dig around at the base of the oak tree... To try to find the acorn, you will not be able to find it because it has died, it has disintegrated, it's done its job, but you can't find it anymore. Now, Jesus said of his own life, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He was speaking of his own death. And the reason that you and I are here today sitting as Christian believers is because Jesus' body was sown in death. But speaking more generally of the resurrection, we can say here, according to Paul, that the seed dies, but that's not the end of the matter. No, something new comes into being that is directly connected to the seed. That's the botany lesson. Now for zoology and astronomy, verses 39 and 40. He says, For not all flesh is the same, but some is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. That's zoology. Then there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's the astronomy. And then he goes on to say in verse 42, So it is is with the resurrection of the dead. What we have here is an argument from creation to help us understand the resurrection. God has created different kinds of living bodies, different kinds of flesh, right? From human to fish. God has created certain kinds of non-living bodies like the stars and the planets both celestial and terrestrial. 
And they all have different degrees of glory. So the point here is, oh, God is very powerful. He can do all of those things. So, logically, He can do this thing called the resurrection of the human body. It's not too hard for Him. This is a very simple point that Paul makes. He can give bodies as He chooses. That's what He did for you and me right now. We've got all kinds of different bodies, right? He can also give resurrection bodies when He says, So it is also with the resurrection of the dead. Paul's saying, This is not too hard for Him. And then going back to the sowing of the seed analogy, he talks about what is sown and what is raised. And notice the contrasts. What is sown is perishable. This is verses 42 through 44. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So the natural body, the bodies we have now, are perishable. That means subject to destruction. Dishonor weakness but the spiritual body is imperishable glorious and powerful right now we have bodies that are described with those words weak dishonorable perishable but these upon death like seeds will be sown into the ground and one day raised in power and glory they will be imperishable indestructible incorruptible Right now our bodies are mortal, they're subject to death. One day they will be immortal, which means no longer subject to death. Jesus was mortal, he died, was raised, is now immortal. If he showed up right now and you shot a bullet at him, it would have no effect on him. He is immortal, he is no longer subject to death. There's one more point that Paul makes here, and this time it's from history, redemptive history. He talks about these two figures, Adam and Christ. He does this in the early part of the chapter. He does this also in Romans chapter 5. Adam and Christ are the two federal heads of the human race. They are the representative heads of humanity. Adam is the represent, representative head of the natural humanity. We're all a part of Adam in that sense. We all share in his sin. We all share in his mortality. Christ is the federal head or the representative head of the redeemed people of God. And those who are believers in Jesus are also part of that set, that subset of all humanity. And so Paul, in making this point about Adam and Christ, he says, For as by a man came death, that is Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead that's 1521 for by a man came death Adam by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead so Paul returns to these representative heads of the human race and tells us that the first man Adam became a living being God breathed into him the breath of life right the last Adam became a life-giving spirit and he says just as we have borne the image of the man of dust so shall we also bear the image of the man of heaven it's a certainty just as we have borne the image and do now bear the image of the man of dust Adam was created out of the dust of the earth 
He says, so also shall we bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. Now, on the surface, this argument is fairly simple. Creation shows that a seed can be sown and give rise to something that, uh, that is amazingly different and yet still the same being. God has already done this in producing so many varieties of being that he had the power to do it and now he has the power to do it in our lives. We've borne the image of Adam. He started out well, but he fell. He fell into sin. We all bear his image and his sin. But Christ came to redeem us from the curse of sin. Christ also defeated death through his own resurrection. And because of this, we too will be raised from the dead. That means, my friend, that you, the same person that you are right now, upon your death, your body will be sown into the earth like a seed. But one day, your body will be raised incorruptible, in power, in glory, in a glorious spiritual body made like unto Jesus' glorious spiritual body, no longer subject to the ravages of sin or sickness or deterioration or death and far beyond the reach of the devil. Does that sound like good news? That is really good news because the thing that everybody faces, even the most proud and confident and physically strong and beautiful person who's got the world by the tail, they're going to face death too. It's the ultimate equalizer. And we need to come to grips with this that in thinking about death, we need to think about it in terms of the resurrection of the dead. I did say, by the way, on the surface, this sounds like a fairly uh, simple argument, uh, but this, this chapter actually contains some of the deepest theological material that's found in the whole Bible. Uh, so further study, for further study, if you're interested, uh, Richard B. Gaffin, G-A-F-F-I-N, Resurrection and Redemption is the book to read. It's a thin volume, um, but you'll find yourself in, in deep water. Uh, so, I mean, this is, uh, the, as Paul's going to say, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll read that in a second. This is a deep, deep mystery. And so, let's go to the final verses of the chapter, and here we're on much more familiar ground. Behold, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep in death, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. A majestic passage. It's full of hope. How many graves have I stood beside and read these words to people who are grieving, but grieving with the hope of the resurrection? Paul is speaking here of a future time when Christ returns. He says, we shall not all sleep in death. There is a time when Christ shall return, and it could be any day, it could be today, and those Christians who are alive when He returns will not experience death. But they shall be changed. And it will happen in a moment, in the time it takes to blink your eye. And it will be accompanied by the sound of the trumpet, the last trumpet. And the dead will be raised imperishable, incorruptible, indestructible. And Paul is saying it must happen. It's a necessity. This mortal must put on immortality. And this corruptible must put on incorruption. And he says, then, that day, the saying will be fulfilled, death is swallowed up in victory. Right now, death remains the enemy that no one can assault. It still has the last word, almost. But one day, death itself will be destroyed. One day, one day. And when that happens... The taunting can begin. Did you notice the taunting in this passage? Usually taunting is not a good thing. It'll get you a 15-yard penalty. You get penalized for taunting. But in this case, it's allowed. Paul taunts. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You see, there's death because there is something called sin. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world and death through sin, Romans 5.12. And so death passed to all men because all sinned. The theological reason why people die is because of sin. But there's going to come a time when that will no longer be the case. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. So there's death because there's sin. If there was no sin, there would be no death. And sin is the transgression of the law. So sin and the law give strength to sin and death. But Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Death will no longer have the victory. We have the victory. We actually have the victory now. But we have this victory in promise form we don't have it fully and finally we have not resurrection now we have the hope of the resurrection now it's a sure hope and the older that you get the more important 
this truth becomes. The older you get, I mean, those of you that are young right now, it's like you think you'll live forever. That's the way I felt when I was young. And then maybe you have a near-death experience, a car accident or something like that, and it shakes you up and you start thinking about it. And then after a few days, you shake it off and you're back to, you know. Well, okay, that's, that's how we live because we live in a pretty protective life right now. We're not living in Ukraine. We're not living in Syria. You know, death is not right around the corner for most of us. However, the older we get, the more we start to think about these things, especially as our bodies deteriorate, and you realize, oh, I'm not going to live forever. We acknowledge that, but the older we get, the more, oh, no, this is a reality. Well, the hope of the resurrection is a hope for all of us. And I want to bring it to your attention, however old you might be, this is precious and important to know this and to hold on to this. Otherwise, you can live your life thinking that this life is all there is and the Christian life and the principles and family life and things like this. We can have a wonderful, wonderful, flourishing life. And that's true, and I hope you do. But then we also suffer. And sometimes young people and even children suffer. And if this life is all that there is, as Paul said, we are of all men most miserable. But this is what sets us off apart from the world. We have the hope of of the resurrection. So the Christian is always happy in hope. That was Augustine's phrase. We can always be happy as long as we understand that we are happy in hope. It's real, okay? We don't have it materially right now, but it is certain and it is sure this mortal must put on immortality. So, Thanks be to God who gives the victory. Death no longer has the victory. We have the victory. We have it now. And how do we have it? Paul says very clearly here, we have it through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have it through our Lord Jesus Christ and in unity with our Lord Jesus Christ. He perfectly kept the law on our behalf. And He died for our sins. In His suffering... He paid for our sins so that the penalty is no longer given to us. However, He didn't just die for our sins. He also lived a fully righteous life and procured for us through His active obedience a positive righteousness that is imputed to us, it's counted to us. We wear that righteousness like a cloak. It's His, but it's ours. What that means is we're not only forgiven of our sin, but we're given the positive benefits of the righteousness of Christ, which includes the resurrection to come. Through Christ, through His life of righteous law-keeping and His death from sin, we have victory right now. Not death, not sin, but we have it because of Christ, because we are in Christ. So God gave us the victory, and even though that day has not yet come, and we don't have this victory in, our full, in its fullness. So we shouldn't be triumphalistic about this in a sense that we're going to just pretend that suffering doesn't occur. It does. But we have a greater hope. We have something beyond it. We have a promise that will take us through it. And we have all this, my friends, through faith. But we do have it. We most certainly do have it. You know, some people have asked, well, if Christ really won all this victory and everything, well, why do Christians still die? If he really paid 
for this all? Why do we still die? Why do we still have suffering? And, and the reason for that is that God operates with us on the principle of faith. In other words, if we had these things in our possession right now, we might disregard the importance of relating to God. Um, you know, if I could digress for just a moment here. Uh, a survey was taken. I may have shared with this with you in the past. I can't remember. But a survey was, a, a survey was taken of celebrities about heaven. Number one, do you believe in heaven? And almost all of them said, yes, I believe in heaven. And the second question was, do you believe you're going there? And yes, they believed they were going there. And the third question was, uh, what do you expect heaven to be like? And, of course, the answers varied. But not one celebrity mentioned anything about God being there. That's interesting. Oh, it's where you're just going to have, you see all your friends and everything, and there's going to be wonderful and this. But nobody mentioned God. And that's the interesting thing about our human, us, us human beings. We tend to take for granted the gifts of God and don't think of the giver. Well, God operates with us on the basis of faith. We actually have to believe in Him and have a relationship with Him. So when suffering comes in our lives, and we're tempted to think, well, I guess there's no God. Oh, really? No. Well, the devil wants to tempt you to disbelieve in God. But God, through trials and suffering, is actually testing you to prove the genuineness of your faith do you really believe in him so that's one of the reasons why we don't get it all at once here God is developing something in us a relationship with him that's on the basis of faith faith in the word that he's given us so when we believe these words of Paul that this mortal must put on immortality and that we have all this through our Lord Jesus Christ it's meant to draw us deeper into a relationship with Him and we find all these benefits and blessings come with faith in Him. So because of this, because of this hope of the resurrection, because of this victory that Christ has already won, yeah, we can have a real hope. But notice what He says at the end. He says, because of this, brothers, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, we've still got work to do. There's a reason why we're here. If you've still got a pulse, there's a reason for that. And God has work for you to do. And you may think that I'm uh, not really that significant or that important. Oh, yes, your work of believing in Him, of being His ambassador, of trusting in Him, of being a faithful husband, wife, employee, of being someone who prays, being someone who desires to glorify God and walk in the Spirit, that is the work that the Lord has for it. It's all going to look different. We all have different job descriptions in the Lord. But he tells us all to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's why we're here. We've got a reason for being. We've got a great reason for being. We're here to glorify God. And as we do this, he strengthens and encourages us. But brothers and sisters, we need to have the hope of the resurrection ever before us. Because we are going to face trials and difficulties. And if we don't know that there's something that lies beyond, we're going to flag in our zeal. We're going to faint and we're going to get knocked off balance and be ineffective in our service for the Lord. 
we're kind of still in the middle of the story. The end hasn't come yet. It's an exciting story. We know the end. Christ rose from the dead and he said, because I live, you shall live also. Let us rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God which reveals these things to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known that Jesus not only died but rose from the dead. And even though the natural man questions these things, we have on the authority of your Word the eyewitness accounts of the apostles that Jesus, you indeed, rose from the dead. That Heavenly Father, you raised our Lord Jesus. That Holy Spirit, you brought him from death to life. And that he sits now at the right hand of the throne of God. But one day he will return with the trumpet of God and the shout of the archangel. And on that day, if we are still alive, we shall be changed. And those of us that have died and are buried will rise from the dead to live a life evermore. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.